0: Let's start. Any 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 prayer requests?
1: I wanted to say thank you for your prayers for Denise.
0: Oh. Uh,
1: she hasn't had a, uh blood transfusions lately. So that's indicative of uh, transplanted a bone marrow starting to work and producing
0: it. Oh, good. Blood. Good. Okay. So that's a very
1: good
0: sign. Yeah.
2: That is awesome. And I'd like to pray for my sister-in-law, Sharon.
0: Wait, that's, Denise is your daughter, right? Yeah. A, yeah. Denise is our
2: daughter. Yeah. Our oldest daughter. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead.
2: Uh, Sharon, my sister-in-law, Sharon, um, she has COVID. She's in ICU. Um, she's my age, but she's doing. Um, they gave her the monoclonal antibodies yesterday, and it seems to be helping. They had her on a uh, bipap machine, not not a CPAP, but a bipap. Wow. What? And that and that seemed to help quite a bit. Um, but I think she's still in ICU, and hopefully, um, the between the antibodies and all the whatever they're trying, um, will will help her.
0: Connie, I'm sorry to take this time up. Um, the impression that I've had lately is that this new strain is a little bit different and most people who come under it don't She's feel the effects problems. very much at all, but what you're describing doesn't sound that way.
2: No, what I, and I don't know which variant she has. That's the thing. I don't know if it's Delta or if it's Omicron. Um, but she has had um, upper respiratory problems before yeah, you know, ah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean i don't know i have no idea there's no rhyme or reason with COVID. i just i just don't know
0: well we I mean, yeah. no not asthma but, but even so i mean it, if anybody's got respiratory problems and they've got covid i it just seems to me that's a combination yeah that's a that's a different thing um, it is
2: it really is yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, anybody else? Anybody else?
2: I would like to pray for
3: my son-in-law. My daughter's family has COVID and my daughter's done well. My granddaughter is turning cartwheels. Uh, and uh, my son-in-law just can't seem to get better. So,
0: What's his name? Aunt? Tom. Tom. Um, give me a second here because I want to look at the of the, um, okay, I, I, I'm not, um, Edward Lutz, who's, um, hold on, you'd, um, anyway, Lori, hi, Good to see you. Your mic's not on, or I don't think. Your mic's not on. Yeah. Is Chuck's Chuck still away? Chuck will
4: be on in a minute. Yeah, he he'll he's in his room. He's going, oh uh, he okay just got to his room, so he's going to sign off okay. from
0: from work. Um. Hold Hello. on. I just want to. No, that's. Well, here let's let's start. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Um, thank you again, Lord, for the gift of our life from you and the gift of yourself um, and the Spirit, Holy Spirit. You are always here, always, um, for your presence. You're never not here. Um, the, The plays we've been reading remind us that the gods are always around. Um, Shakespeare was using that as a Catholic. He he knew you. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put you guys on mute because somebody's <laughs> celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> and <My> and, <laughs> and I'm gonna do everything I can to embarrass you on that. <laughs> what do I do? I don't even know. I don't even know how to, you know, to get. I'm, I'm
2: throwing my husband under the bus all
0: day. Sorry. <laughs> tell your tell your husband to take you with him. <laughs> don't don't put that all on your husband. Um. Anyway, just um, God has a sense of humor. I, um, I hope we all know that. Um, for all that you do, um, Christ the Great love you have of us, the great way you honor us. It will be at the center of our play today because it's all about suffering. The way you honor us by ask, um, inviting us to your cross and stay with us even though we pull away a lot. Um, I may be speaking too much for myself but I think most of us don't like suffering. And yet one of the beauties of this play is that it shows us suffering is never joyful or. Hard for me, at least, to imagine. It may be so for the saints. But I ha- myself, I have no question about the joy that will come out of suffering for any of us who make a place for it. So, for all the ways you strengthen us t- to come to you, to increase our love of you, to join you on a cross, um, to step away from the world, um, to do all the things that draw us closer to you, and we are grateful. Um, tonight, I want to um, offer thanks again for Denise, the great work that's going on with her. What <laughs> um, David and Connie um, carried a heavy burden for a long time. I'm hoping for their daughter, all that she's undergoing. We're grateful. Um, continue to be with her in a recovery, strengthen her. No matter what happens. Um, let her be glad. Um, our son was um, at a fire in his neighborhood across the street and uh, listening to him talk about it reminded me we live so comfortable, so comfortably in our lives and then suddenly something happens. Um, we have these experiences of our mortality that we're close to dying or somebody we love and um, it's a grace. It's a reminder our life could be over tomorrow, the next day. So strengthen all of us, um, particularly those that we carry in our hearts who are struggling, Denise. Um, Connie, her name is Sharon. Yes. Yeah, Sharon. um, Be with her, too. Um, um, Help her um, recover her health. um, Watch over her um, and her family. Um, I always ask for a special blessing for Connie. Um, God, <laughs> she sometimes carries the church in her, which is one of her blessings. Um, it's a blessing to all of us. But ease her heart, strengthen her, um, continue to bless her with the joy that she carries to all that she does with these people that she loves. And, Tom. Um, Do I have that right, Tom? And this is your brother-in-law, right? Or son-in-law, sorry.
2: Yes. Yeah, your son-in-law.
0: Yeah. Um, Watch over the family and their struggle with this COVID. Um, It's amazing how we react differently. Um, Age doesn't help, and if people have lung conditions, it's likely to make things worse. So watch over him, protect him, help heal him. Um, Let the family be prudent in their way of dealing. Sometimes the most important thing to do is to quarantine, to step away from those we love, to let go of them when that's the last thing we want to do. But help them to um, be careful and prudent um, and be with him particularly um, and also with Anne. Um, let her heart be quiet and trusting. The reminder of the church, I think, which all of us are grateful for, is to be always and everywhere thankful, um, no matter what's going on. Sometimes that's hard to do when we're facing pain. Or it is hard to do when we're facing pain. So help us all to do that. We offer these prayers in your name, Christ our Lord. Amen. Um. Okay, let's finish the East Coker. Remember in Burnt Norton, Elliot was introducing us to this idea of a, of a still point. And remember, we're dealing with poetry. We're not dealing with statements or abs- abstract arguments. Poetry always returns us to a concrete world. That's its mystery. Um, When when St. Paul talks about Christ, he's not presenting him concretely the way Matthew does. Paul's doing an amazing thing. What Paul does is take Christ's life, all of his events, and he draws from it a truth. He abstracts from it. So he's coming out of abstract experiences to formulate an idea, a piece of theology. Poets don't do that. They take us back to that concrete world, so we re-enter our world almost like through a grace to go through it, but to see and feel things differently. And in, in Burton Norton, Eliot is, is introducing this idea that if if all we have is time, time is unredeemable. It's only because somebody enters time from outside of time that time can be redeemable. And then he takes us into the garden. You remember it all, and we get this notion of a still point. That still point exists everywhere in life, even if we can't see it. Take it away and the world would fly off in chaos. That still point center is God. And it's particularly Christ in the sense that Christ interfaces our world. He looks to the divine order because he was a God, but as a human he looked to our order. So he was in both orders. He's like an image of that still point. It's there where we meet him. It's there where we're closer to God Whatever we're doing in this world, or, or, in Boethius' terms, we're slipping off to the periphery, off to the circumference, remember, we're on the circle, flying, and away from that center. But that still point is Eliot's thing, so he's not making statements about it, that's what critics do, that's what philosophers do, he's rendering that dramatically and poetically in an image, okay? In um, East Coker, remember, he's dealing, he's, it's a variation on the same theme. It's a, remember, the four quartets, the analog is music. So we're hearing another instrument. It's giving a variation on that theme, but it's the same thing. East Coker, the focus now is things coming into being, things passing away. Um, it's a little bit like Ecclesiastics, a time for everything, Thing. Something for this, something for that. Um, Houses We build houses, they die. Um, um, Before we were born, our parents were here. We were not on the world. We were not on the earth. We weren't here. We came into being through our parents and God. We've been here. Um, We will pass away. Some of us are getting close to that point. We won't be here anymore. So he's dealing with this coming into being passing away, but that coming into being and passing away implies a still point. It's most visible or most sort of conspicuous in seasons. We're in the middle of winters. Spring will come. After spring, summer will come. And after summer, fall, those cycles will repeat themselves. How can they do that if they're not around a center? The very existence of seasons implies a center. And the last poem that we read of the Four Quartets, Little Gidding, has one of the most, I think, one of the most beautiful passages in all of poetry that's ever been written, where Eliot talks about a midwinter spring. So even in the middle of a winter, we can have a spring moment. And you know that hap- happens in all seasons. It can be in summer. It can be, we can have a storm in the middle of summer. So it's like there's something always there. It's this perfection, or that lost Eden. And in East Coker, he's been dealing with it. Remember, it begins, in my beginning is my end. In succession, houses rise and fall, crumble or extended. It goes on like that. Um, um, so his focus in East Coker has shifted, and I don't want to go through all of the, the sections now, but remember very often he keeps, he keeps using that image of a, something that reminds us of the... Uh, what's that? Sorry. Apophatic. Um, we're made aware through something of its negation, that there's something not there. Um, and I've given you the image of the Eucharist. When we take the Eucharist, we're with Christ in his kingdom. When we're walking to the car... Um, are we so focused on the car that we forget? Where, is the, where are we in that moment? In time and space. I mean, obviously we're on the way to the car. But in God's kingdom, um, what, are, are, what are we on the way to? Where are we? You know, in this mystery that we're involved in. That's going to be particularly true for Catholics because we believe in sacraments. We believe that no matter what's going on, we're always involved with a sacramental life. so that we be- And we believe that in, in a way that plays out on our lives, that we don't live the way other people do because we know we're involved in a mystery. So Elliot has been dealing with that theme. In my beginning is my end, things come into being, they pass away. Remember in the third section he began, oh, dark, 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 they all go into the dark. Um, and... Um, In the fifth section, he's, in the um, fifth section, he starts um, with an allusion to Dante, remember that the divine comedy began with Dante saying, "In the middle of my life in a dark wood, in medius res, That's the beginning of every epic. We're always in the midst of things. Um, I, I would say for most of us right now, if we were honest about our lives, we'd feel in media's race. We're in the midst of something. We have a beginning behind us, we have an end ahead of us, but there's a lot of things going on in our lives that we don't see the way God does. We're always in the midst of things. So in the opening of this fifth section, Eliot says, so here I am in the middle way, having had 20 years. Now remember, that's Dante. That's an allusion to Dante. Dante said, um, in the middle of my life, um, in a dark wood, and he starts the Commedia. So, Eliot is playing on that illusion. He's speaking to us now, but he's got Dante in his poem. So here am I, in the middle way, having had 20 years, 20 years largely wasted, the years of L'Entre du guerres uh, between the two wars, that's French, trying to learn to use words, and every attempt is wholly a new start and a different kind of failure because one has only learned to get the better of words for the thing one no longer has to say because the world moves on. If, if we keep repeating ourselves, it means we're stuck in the past. We're not moving forward. We're always in medias res, always in the way. Um, because one has only learnt to get the better of words for the thing one has no longer to say or the way in which one is no longer disposed to say it. So each venture is a new beginning arrayed on the inarticulate with shabby equipment always deteriorating in a general mess of imprecision of feeling, undisciplined squads of emotion. And what there is to conquer by strength and submission has already been discovered once or twice or several times by men whom one cannot hope to emulate. But there is no competition. There is only the fight to recover what has been lost and found and lost again and again and now under conditions that seem unpropitious. But perhaps neither gain nor loss. For us there is only the trying. The rest is not our business. Home is where one starts from. As we grow older, the world becomes stranger, the pattern more complicated of dead and living. Not the intense moment isolated with no before and after, but a lifetime burning in every moment, and not the lifetime of one man only, but of old stones that cannot be deciphered. There is a time for the evening under starlight, a time for the evening under lamplight, evening with a photograph album. Love is most nearly itself when here and now cease to matter. Old men ought to be explorers. Here and there does not matter. We must be still and still moving into another intensity for a further union, a deeper communion, through the dark cold and the empty desolation, the wave cry, the wind cry, the vast waters of the petrel and the porpoise, in my end is my beginning. Let me stop for a second, I think. um, Julie just came on. Julie, hi. Um, It's good to see your name come up again. We just finished um, Elliot, um, uh, East Coker. I'm going to just read the beginning of the Dry Sauvages because that's the that's the poem we'll read when we start next week. It starts um, so each quartet has a different focus, a different theme, it's a variation on the same thing. Here he's going to be um, um, focusing on the relationship between the divine and nature because God is always present in his creation. So he begins here, I do not know much about gods but I think that the river is a strong brown god, sullen untamed and intractable, patient to some degree, at first a recognized as a frontier, useful, untrustworthy, as a conveyor of commerce, then only a problem confronting the builder of bridges. Because the modern world, you know, is defined by its wanting to use technology to control nature. When God is out of the picture, there's no reason we can't try to control everything. Well, it's going to take up this theme of us in relation to nature and the divine there. Um, so we'll uh, we'll start with the dry savages next week. Okay. Okay, um, Chuck. I saw you come on. Hi. I I didn't want to stop, but it's good to see you again. Good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, glad to see you. Um, um, okay. Um, let's. Start. Pericles. Just a couple of reminders, a review going back to the last couple of weeks. I've said before that it seems to me one of the ways in which we're asked to encourage to see Pericles, because he's always in exile, always. Um, is that um, he's escaped that degrading fact of being a child of his age. In a sense we can say of him is that he stands outside of his age in the sense that he doesn't belong to any regime. He has to leave Tyre and is in exile for most of his life. He'll return to govern it um, for a time just before he's reunited with his wife and daughter. But Shakespeare's giving us a glimpse of a man who's rooted in the world, whose roots are there, his wife and daughter, but who spends almost his entire life in exile. So a number of things are going on with Pericles that we don't see in the other plays that we've read. We've got Gower, who was a poet before Shakespeare's time, going back to a story that was told before his time. So we're getting a story of a story of a story, we're, we're distanced from it. And it's about a man who's um, very much of the world but suffering from it. Um, so we, we, we get a view on Pericles that's distanced and removed in a way that's not true, say, of Lear or the other works that we've read. Pericles belongs to the category of plays that we call romances um, because they deal with what critics in our age call improbable things. It's like the do everything can to avoid the use of the word mystery, that's too suggestive of God. But it seems to me what's going on in all these later plays, particularly Pericles and Wintersdale, is that we're getting a view of the world that's sacramental, that something happens to cause a great deal of suffering, but out of that suffering comes an extraordinary joy. Um, in this play, the joy happens to take the form of everything that was lost is given back. That's one of the reasons I think this is what I would call a paradisal play. I, I, I'm not aware of anything in literature, and you know how much I live in it. I mean, I love, we've done a lot. Um, I, I hope we can keep doing it. I don't know of a play that presents a scene in the world that I think is impossible to look at without thinking of heaven because it seems to me that if you take, for an example, if we take the Job story which is the closest thing to this that I know of, Job loses everything, absolutely everything. He's angry at God, he feels like he's being unfairly treated. The great theme of Job is why does God allow good men to suffer and evil to prosper? Job loses everything but one of the great things about the job story is job's given everything back but i'm pretty certain if you were to read that story and set it next to pericles you'd feel a a, a black and white difference we're allowed to experience a moment when pericles gets everything back and and um, we're, we're we're allowed to experience it concretely. In Job we don't, it's just we're told he gets everything back. Here we see it, we experience it. And Pericles is so overwhelmed by the moment, so overwhelmed, that the suffering that he's experienced comes to rest and he sleeps. And in that rest he experiences the music of the spheres. It's God's order. Nobody in the world experiences it because we push, the, we push God's order off. So it's the only scene in, in all of literature that I know of in which a, a person actually experiences the music of the spheres. It's a holy moment. If I, can, if I can step outside of this for a second. Imagine anybody on their deathbed and you're hoping that person, you love that person, you think that person's going to go to heaven. Your words to that person are, you're going home. You're going home. Everything you've lost, everything you've suffered, whatever you've gone through, will be given back and more in that moment. Can any of us imagine that? I mean, being with Christ, and, and with Him, being with, for me, my parents, my grandparents, the people that I've loved who've gone before me, friends that I've known, dear, dear friends, Plato, Socrates, Aristophanes, Boethius, St. Thomas, Shakespeare, Dante. can, Can anybody imagine anything more glorious than that? I mean, it would take an eternity to have a talk with all those people. There wouldn't be enough time. And you'd be doing that in the presence of poetry and music because there would be nothing said then that wouldn't be musical, poetic. Everything would be a harmony. Can you imagine the joy? The joy that um, Pericles experiences is something like that, and Shakespeare renders it. So we're giving, we're being given a moment here, unlike anything that I've ever known. The closest to it is Dante. And um, I don't think anybody else gets close. So Pericles belongs to what the critics call romances. I'm a little bit uneasy with that word because it's too too early, too romantic. I mean, we need something more. So I, That's why I call it the sacramental place. Um, in, in Pericles, you know, we've talked about the theme of the regimes. <coughs> there are six of them, and it's um, Pericles has to encounter them, and we see a hero having to learn to adjust to whatever the experiences are in each regime. I think we're being given a picture of what Shakespeare would have understood as a classical definition of virtue. The virtuous man knows what to do under whatever circumstances because he's virtuous. He doesn't give in to the extremes all around. Remember, virtue for Shakespeare, as it would have been for or is a means between two extremes. So with respect to courage, it's it's not um, rashness or cowardice, or with respect to money, it's not being wasteful or Um, tight-fisted. You know, you can take any situation, any quality in us, and ask if if we're really practicing a virtue. Are we consciously trying to be good, particularly when it's hard? And Pericles is an illustration of somebody having to deal with that. Another thing we talked about, and I can only suggest it, I can't, this is purely speculative on my part, um, you know from the book of Maccabees that the Jews are surrounded by this Hellenic culture. And the, the greatest threat is posed to them by Antiochus, who was the king of Antioch. He was a powerful king. He conquered the Jews. He took over the temple. He blasphemed. Um, he, he made the Jews worship the Greek gods, all the gods we experienced in Homer. And he forced them not to worship their gods. The ones who didn't were c- killed or punished. So both Maccabees' books deal with that Hellenic culture and its threat to Judaism. The people that God called out to bring him to the world and to wait for the Messiah. Well, Shakespeare takes that that area, that culture, as a, as a subject here. It starts in Antioch with Antiochus, which was the name of that king. I, I, I don't think Shakespeare is asking us to see the They're the same one, but he's too learned for us not to make that, or at least to ask about that connection. And the question that I posed last week, and I can only pose it, I can't, this is all speculative on my part, is um, what Shakespeare's doing in Pericles, preserving the best of the Greek legacy to us everything that Plato passed on, which is one of the most remarkable bodies of works we have in Western civilization, has as its root goodness and beauty. And the danger of beauty because in the presence of beauty our desires are awakened and they can overwhelm us. You know from the beginning I've been saying that's a particular temptation for men. The beauty of women is uh, is one of the things they have to struggle with. And you know in the modern world that or no, historically it's been true, that very beautiful women very often take their beauty for granted. They use it as a power. So, the theme of beauty and having to deal with it, remember it opens with Pericles coming to woo Antiochus' daughter and seeing that she's extraordinarily beautiful. You've got men's heads on the wall to, to, to make clear the danger It's not just a few heads, there's a lot of men who lost their heads over the beauty of this woman. So the threat of beauty um, and its power for awakening desires, the passions, and learning to control the passions is not a small thing. Thesa is beautiful. Remember, Pericles comes to her. She's She's a beautiful woman. Marina is a beautiful young girl. We're going to come to some really, really difficult questions later on. Women here. Um, there are the allusions to the Job theme that we've talked about, um, getting back what's lost. In the Winter's Tale, which we're about to read, um, the king is going to lose his daughter. In fact, he's going to send her to her death. And he will be given a prophecy. The gods will say to him, you will be without an heir. You will be. You're, you're, this is a king. Imagine how much Shakespeare had to have Henry VIII on his mind. This is a king. The gods say to him, you will be without an heir. That is your kingdom will dry up. You'll be without an heir until that which is lost is found. His daughter's name is Perdita. Perdita, which means that which is lost is found. What is Shakespeare showing us? What needs to be recovered? What do we lose? Our love, our faith, can we go on if we lose those? You will be without an heir until that which is lost is found. Okay. And the theme of ex- the theme of exile that we've talked about. Um, um, I want to I want to present what to me are five of the most important themes of Pericles. B- before we turn to the play itself. Take break. Sorry? Take
3: a break.
0: This? Yes. <laughs> Pardon me and my wife. She's not gonna let me go unless I do something right now. <laughs> Did you hear her say that a minute ago? Could you hear? Good. <laughs> you don't want to hear my wife swear. I didn't swear. She didn't she didn't swear. She does she does not swear. She said, take a break. She meant it. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <coughs> God. <laughs> this is going internationally, I hope.
5: You don't go do it, she's going to swear again.
0: down. <laughs> uh, let's go. Five themes. This is outside of the play, but it seems to me it's a question that has to be asked in light of the play itself. I hope that was clear. If it's not, the question will be clear. Um, What do you do in a world in which there's no God if people ignore him? Is it possible for man to be honorable or virtuous in a world without God? I'm asking that really seriously. Because what Shakespeare is showing us in Pericles is that in all of these regimes, we're, we're... experiencing um, regimes in which the leaders don't believe in God or don't act like they do. And we're watching Pericles as a virtuous man, man encounter these regimes. We talked about that in the first two meetings. And so it, it it seems to me it forces on us, certainly me, the, the question um, in a world in which there is no God, is it possible for man to be virtue or honorable? I'm going to say that's our world today. If you take away God and there is no God what would call a man to honor virtue? There would be nothing in the world against which to measure himself or to which to move. If, if you saw man as nothing more than an animal even, if, even as a man he would act like an animal. He'd act out of self-preservation and, um, and wanting to save his own life. Okay. If there's no virtue or honor, can there be a joy? The world today always has asked human beings to be happy. In our world, people, the, 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 the password today is having fun. To have fun. To be happy having fun. Um, if you take away honor or virtue, is it possible to know a joy, the kind of joy that Pericles comes to? If that's not clear, set Cleon and Dionysa, or Antiochus against Pericles because you know that all of them die. Their evil consumes them. Go back to Boethius. Remember we saw in Boethius that evil will always defeat itself. God is a good God. There's no evil. Evil is a privation. It's a pulling away. So, for anybody to continue to commit evil is to turn away from the very ground of his being. It's always going to be self-defeating. It will destroy itself. The third, the theme of joy and suffering. Um, joy in in itself, in in a moment of joy, is never. I'm sorry, suffering. In the moment, is never joyful. I, I mean, I. I'm speaking from some inexperience here. I mean, I'm not a saint, and sometimes I wonder about the saints. It's hard to see Christ joyful in his crucifixion. I mean, he was in agony. The agony was suffocating. It took his life. The pain had to be unbearable. So I don't see any joy in suffering, but our promise of our faith is that joy will come out of suffering. Um, I don't know if you guys had time to read the notes that I'd sent you, but I'd ask you all to look at them pretty closely. The, I took real time with this set of notes. And at the end of it, I offered a definition of suffering. I really would like all of you to look at that pretty seriously. Take some time. The word suffering comes from the Latin, so fede, to bear. Um, but it's related to the English um, fede, um, to um, um, to be fertile. To, to, so the the original meaning of suffer was to bear up from something underneath, from which we get fertile. Um, so out of suffering, the very nature of suffering, something is brought forth. And um, I've written something that I think, I think you would enjoy, because in all suffering we get changed. Um, our consciousness is changed. We aren't who we were the moment before the suffering. Something changes in us. We look at the world differently. So, through our sufferings, we're brought to a new life. Uh, the body is still the same, yeah? When I had my knee exam, or if I had an operation, I hopefully I'd come out, mean, my lungs aren't what they used to be, but you know, if something happened to any of us, we'd come out, our bodies would be virtually the same, not always, but mostly. But is our interior the same? No. If any of us have had experiences of or- mortality, where we've you know had to confront our mortality or the mortality of somebody we love we're not the same something changes our consciousness it's like a new birth has been given to us if that's not obvious compare us compare any of us right now I mean most of us are not young Lori's got it on most of us She's just um, yeah I think everybody but Imagine any of us when we were twelve or thirteen or fifteen. I mean, I just look back at myself then and shake my head. I mean, whatever I wish we didn't have to go through. I look back at. I don't ever want to go back to that. Too naive, too stupid. Um, so the theme of the theme of joy and its importance for. I'm sorry. The theme of suffering and its importance for the joy that human beings are offered, particularly when they're good. And Pericles, Thesa, and Marina all give us images of people who struggle to be good. The fourth, in worlds constantly deteriorating because the world is constantly going downhill, one holds on to the best of the past through traditions. The only way back to the past is through them. Um, the the priest that we had this weekend, visiting priest, um, um, I can't remember the reading, but took his esteemed the Bible. Imagine taking the Bible out of our lives and losing that whole tradition. Watch our world today. The world that denies Christ or rejects God. or is, You know, Christianity is not one among many religions. It's sui generis. It's in itself. No other religion claims that God himself came down and took on our nature. And our understanding is he had to do that because it was the only way of answering our sin. No other religion has that. So Christianity is not one among a number of religions. It stands apart, it's absolutely unique. Take the Bible out of our world and leave it at the mercy of a world without Christianity or the Bible. What would it be like? Look at the world the day it is as it rejects Christ. What's going on in the world. Look at the world within Christianity within at our own failings. So the importance of a tradition of looking past or looking to the past and carrying it forward. Gower does that, and Shakespeare's doing it with Gower. Saruman does that with Asa's body. She's thrown over as dead. He picks her up and revives her, and he has all these documents from the past that identify her, but they're waiting to be made real. Christ, you know, the, um, and when we do the Gospels, I'll, I'll talk about the beginnings of each of them, because each of them is different. If you read Luke, you know that Luke begins by with Luke saying... I'm going to straighten things out here because we've got all these reports of what happened with Christ, and he's clearly saying there's a lot of them you can't pay attention to. I'm going to give you the real thing. That's the way Luke starts. His authority is the truth. I'm going to straighten things out. When he goes to Christ, after Christ faces the temptations and the uh, baptism, when Christ starts his ministry in Luke, he goes into the temple and he sits down, he reads that passage from Isaiah, and then he turns to everybody and he says... On this day, this scripture is fulfilled. The word of God is living, which is what it should have been for the Jews. I mean, if you, if you read Matthew, we're going to do it, over and over and over and over again, Christ is all over the Pharisees because they keep going back to these traditions in a way that gets God out of the way. They put the traditions in place of God. The whole point of those traditions, as God put them, was to keep God alive. That's why, that's why um, Christ says he's the God of the living, not the dead. He's saying to the Pharisees, you're living in, in a dead past. Your God is the living. And the irony is, it, God is right in front of them and you don't see them. Are you all following? So so much of Lake Shakespeare is doing in this play through Gower himself and through figures like Sermon, And eventually Marina, at the end of the play, when father and daughter are reunited, and husband and wife, that whole past is brought into the moment and made living. There are extraordinary moments. It's as if they're in the presence of something divine. Something amazing is happening. So word and act become one. So take out the Bible. what would happen? Take out our traditions, Take out the past, Take out Shakespeare. We wouldn't be having this moment. I look at the modern movies and you know stuff that the moderns do that want to do away with the past to deny it. It's an insane world. How do you put acid on your memory and wipe it out? Who are you? What are you? Where will you go? Where did you come from? Okay? So we, Remember, I've been saying since the Iliad, what the poets do, all the great poets, is they carry the past forward and redeem it as they go. Everybody in the modern world wants to get rid of the past because they think they can create this new world on their own. Our responsibility, at least according to our faith, or I think anybody who's sensible, even if you're not Christian, we carry the past forward and we redeem it as we go. We can't shake off our past, even if there's parts to it that are painful. We have to make it better through our own actions. That's our call. That's what Christ did. He came to fulfill. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill. He was the Messiah, bringing that whole past to a point into the present. So the importance of tradition, the past, carrying it forward, Last theme that I just want to mention for a second. As you, if you've read the play, or if you've seen it, I think it's Chuck and Lori have, bless your soul, that Suzanne and I have got it now. We're going to watch it as soon as we can get a minute. Um, if you come to that recognition scene and you've done enough literature, I mean, some of you will be aware because you've been hearing me pound you guys over and over. Remember in tragedy, the tragic action, as Aristotle described it, is all tragedy, all comedy deals with um, a, a, a movement from bad fortune to good fortune. That's comedy. Tragedy moves from good fortune to bad fortune. Those are the two trajectories. Yeah. One of the marks of, I think, of both. We don't have a work on comedy, but I think we can assume it from what he says in tragedy. All plots. The, they're good. The very best plots have a moment of a turn, a peripatia, a turn. And at that turn, there's a recognition. It can be Othello. It can be Macbeth. It can be Hamlet. Hamlet's recognition. Uh, remember in the in after the the, uh, the ocean crossing. When he says, "There's a there's a providence," you know, in everything. Um, Every good tragedy every good tragedy has a moment of recognition and a turn a conversion so if you're going in a certain direction something happens and you learn to see that things aren't the way that you thought they were and you change you turn and that turn is inseparable from a moment of seeing you see that things weren't the way you thought they were your sight increases you you don't look at the world the same um but in in pagan tragedy, I mean she, Aristotle doesn't talk about it this way, but the assumption is always it's an individual. It's Oedipus. It's Orestes. You can go back to any of the people that we've read about, we've experienced. we've We've looked at Oedipus. We've looked at Orestes. Um If you look at Shakespeare's earlier plays, Hamlet, Othello, Macbeth, Coriolanus, you name it, Who am I leaving out? Lear? All of those recognition scenes involve one person and his recognition. Now take a look at this. In the recognition scene in Pericles you've got a father and a daughter seeing each other for the first time in 14 years and both of them live those years as if the other was lost. Pericles is beholding his daughter, she's beholding him. It's a shared recognition. And the same thing happens with Pericles and Thesa shortly afterwards. The two of them are going to behold each other, so the recognition is not alone, it's not private, it's shared. Why is that important? And how is that Christian? How does it mark a change from a pagan world? I want to stop because I've been... But it, to me it's a good question. Why? In what way does that represent something Christian that the pagan, that Aristotle... Aristotle's right on. I mean, he was so, so knowing. There's no way he could have seen this, I think. But Shakespeare comes to a point in his life. Is everybody following me? We don't see this in the tragedies. Right? Not with Hamlet, not with Lear, not with Macbeth, Othello. But here, in a work that's moving towards a tragedy, all this stuff is lost. There's a turn. Something's given back. And it turns on this recogn- these two recognition scenes. And in the recognition scenes, it involves a couple, a father and a daughter, and a husband and a wife. Any thoughts on that?
4: Bob? Yeah. This is Julie.
0: Yeah, hi, Julie. I'm so glad to hear your voice again.
4: Yeah. You know, I wanted to kind of speak to all of the themes. Um, You know, my personal experience with suffering and. the peripatia and those things that you refer to, and um, you know, and um, I lost my son when he was nineteen of an overdose, and it was the most tragic suffering
0: God. that
4: I could have ever experienced.
0: Yep. yep. But
4: I have to say to you that that has been the defining moment in my relationship with Christ.
0: With God, yeah.
4: It has been the defining moment. Yeah. And I, it's through that suffering, I think that, it speaks to all the things that you refer to as the themes, um, that there is a, um, um, I don't know what it is, but it is, anyway, I just, I just, I'm in love with Shakespeare, so thank you so much.
0: (laughs) You're in love with a good person, I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, I... (sighs) I mean, you, you're in good hands, Julie. I, I trust you know that by now. And Connie, you have any thoughts on this? Why the, the, the fact that the recognition scene involves two and not just one, how does that change? I, I, I should probably wait till the end to do this, but I'm going to get at this. Now, how does it change a recognition scene? What happens here, that, let's say that didn't happen in Othello or Hamlet, we get close to it with Lear, but Lear's a tragedy. And what happens here that does not happen with Hamlet or Othello or Lear? We've read those together, so we have some experiences in which to speak to this. You have a thought, Connie? I don't, other than
2: the. Um... <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. The joy of the two, you know, um, meeting instead of, you know, sharing the joy. (laughs) perhaps. I think it's it's just much more, um, it's more noticeable. I mean, instead of just, you know, sharing the joy alone, uh, just being together, sharing, I think has something like that. I was going to
0: say, can any of us ever... Will joy ever be complete when it's sh- when we're just alone? It, it, is it possible to feel joy with without its involving somebody else, whether it's God or somebody else? It, can joy be complete without somebody else? It's, I mean, that's sort of the question that I think your words are going around.
1: I I think uh, uh, I think. Uh, we are all social beings and we need other people or you know other person or persons to feel complete and here the Pericles thought he lost Marina Mm -hmm. but later he finds something he thought he had lost and the joy uh, of uh, the joy he feels by finding Marina.
0: Yep, yep.
1: I think, I think is- that is something that you don't see in other plays.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because the other plays were tragedies too. You know, all of them. <laughs> so the whole yeah. line of because we know there's a tragic aspect to life that 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 there can be a, we can lose everything. And remember, in tragedy it's not a bad thing. That recognition that takes place in each of those tragedies shows the tragic hero coming back to himself, seeing something that he didn't see before. Sorry, Doc, you were going to say?
3: I think the joy is doubled.
0: Wait, can you hear? Can you all hear, Doc? Go
3: ahead. I think the joy is doubled for both of them. If Pericles had gone through all of this suffering and was talking to somebody about how he had recovered his daughter, um, that, that person in hearing it, not Marina, just somebody else, that person in hearing it would feel a joy just as he's feeling a joy mm-hmm. in relating it. and. So that happens for both of them. They not only f- experience the joy of discovering that the loss they've always lived with is, is gone, it's, it's over, um, but they're also feeling the joy of the other person. So each of them feel not only their own joy, but they feel the joy for the other person. So it's like a, a double joy. Um, when they do
0: it together. Did everybody hear that? Connie smiling. I so enjoy that smile. Connie agrees with you. There must be something wrong with both of you. <laughs> <laughs> Connie was enjoying that. Yeah, anybody, I think, I mean, the, yeah, I, to take it to another, just, I mean, who, uh, who said it? Kay said it. Um, the. the we're made in the image of God for a Christian, for, certainly for a Catholic, not all Christians hold to the Trinity the way they should, but for, for a Christian, for a Catholic, an Orthodox Christian, we're made in the image of God, that is, we're Trinitarian. We will never be complete without being one with another person, whether that other person is a human being, or whether it's God. Priests and sisters take Christ as their spouses. They can't live in isolation. For the people to see them in isolation is to completely misread them. My goodness. They marry Christ. Um, but we're, we're made in God's image. That means we're made to love and be loved. You know? and, and I thought Suzanne put it really wonderfully. And, um, you know, if, and if, if you look at both of them, they're taking a joy at recovering what they lost but they're doing it with each other. It's just a fuller, richer joy. It involves the loved one that you've lost. So it's an extraordinary experience. Um, now mul- do that, multiply the fish with Christ in heaven. There's, there's, it seems to me there's no way to look at what's going on without seeing, realizing that in heaven it's got to be like the multiplication of the fishes. The joy, God... If we didn't have a new body, there's no way we could tolerate it. The joy, the joy would be too great. Remember um, remember Pericles' words. At the, I, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're going to come back to it. When he realizes fully that this is Marina, and she's realizing this is her father, he says, o this is 5-1, one, line 190, you don't have to go, but O Helicina, strike me, honored sir, give me a a gash put me to present pain lest this great sea of joys rushing upon me or bear the shores of my mortality and drown me with their sweetness how could anybody be in heaven and not be overwhelmed with joy go back to my question this so troubles me take god out of the picture today take christ out of the picture how can can anybody be honorable or virtuous can anybody know the joy that Shakespeare is rendering for us in this play? Because the joy here is overwhelming. I don't. I don't know how anybody could watch it and not cry. It just. I mean, you're just absolutely humbled by it. I, I think the same thing's going to happen with uh, *Winter's Tale* when Leont. What happens? I'm not going to give it away. What happens at the end? It's first time I saw that play. I wept. It just. It's overwhelming. So all of these things, all of these, um, and remember to hold on, the implied behind is the importance of music. Pericles will hear the music of the spears. When Saruman heals Thesa, he does it to music. Uh, Marina is associated with music. She sings. When she speaks words, there's a poetry, a harmony to her words that's like poetry. Men can't hear her without being converted, because we've been, you know, poetry can speak to us in ways other things cannot. Okay, let me stop. I want to go to the, I want to go to the play, and and I'm going to rush this because, and I don't want to do this, but I so badly want to get to the end. talk about the recognition scene. So let me stop. Any questions or comments or thoughts about anything that we've done up to this point?
5: I'll just add to what you were saying before. I've been thinking about this difference between you know, the classic Greek Peripatian and what you see in Pericles. Or take Hamlet, I mean, he re- he reaches this recognition on a, on his own, it's internal. Here it would be absolutely impossible, no matter how introspective any of these people were, to, to reach that turning point. They absolutely needed it. It wasn't just that it doubled the joy, they needed it, it was a precondition for it. And also, it strikes me as like it, it was bestowed as an act of grace, almost, it, it came to them. Nothing they could do had brought that about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, yes, I completely agree, Chuck. It, um, We've not. I think I may have mentioned it in passing, but the whole question of fortune, as Boethius looks at it, you know, every one of the misfortunes that take place in the play, you could. I put them. I listed them on our notes, and I'm sure there's some I've left off. You can look at every one of those misfortunes as an occasion for grace. The question is, are people good enough to to work with it that way? Let Let's take it this way. So when Antiochus is uncovered, when he's unmasked, and he knows that Pericles knows the answer, that he's had an incestuous relationship, does he own up to it and do something to do away with the sin? No, he doesn't. Or um, um, Cleon and and Dionysa, when Dionysa kills or thinks she kills um, Marina, does that become an occasion for her to become better? I mean her last words to her husband when Cleon learns about it are just shocking. You know, um, when Pericles returns home to, er, there to um, Tharsis to get his daughter, he's told the story but when, when Cleon first learns that Dionysa had killed, um, he, he, he describes her as a harpy She's got fangs. I mean, she's a woman who is um, so twisted in her love of power that she has no scruples about killing this wonderful creature. And sadly, Cleon um, Cleon doesn't do anything about it. I mean, what he does is criticize his wife. and You know they're both going to die, just as Antiochus died. Um, um, So... Every one of those moments of misfortune um, can become a grace if people enter into them in faith, not using it as an an, as an occasion or an excuse to do something wrong. I mean, look at it's really. I'm glad you said it the way you did, Chuck. Look at um, at. uh, Pericles and and particularly marina marina's too, I, I just we've got to get to her Marie's an extraordinary woman she lost her father she lost her mother she's in a brothel she could have easily gone along with what went on she said poor me I have got this awful past she does none of that she says I am not going to give up my virtue she doesn't pity she doesn't play a victim she certainly had enough occasions to we're going to see the same thing in winterstown People are constantly going to have a, all of us, all of us have occasions for being a victim. We can stay there or move on or, you know, I mean, Julie, I thought, put it well. You know, you can stay there or you can move on. If you move on, are you moving with a grace? Does it become a grace for you? So you enter a world you didn't know before. David K., did you have something? Hey, I know you've got something. Don't say, I know you've got something. <laughs> Michael, do you have any thoughts you want to offer here?
6: No, Bob, I'm sorry, but I, I got a late start and I'm still a little behind on the reading. I'm uh, nearly caught up, but uh, lagging behind. My, my thoughts, though, on... Uh, on, on Antiochus, it, it almost seemed to me that he was so evil that he he devised the riddle uh, expressly to identify enemies. I, I mean, it it, it it came to me that <laughs> Funny. perhaps he he, really, he did he created a riddle and would challenge people to solve it. Uh, and basically saying to himself, "Well, if you're smart enough to figure out what my sin is, then I'm going to murder you." <laughs> I don't, and I don't—that's I don't, that's not in the
0: story. Well, you know that they're going to die anyway. I mean, they either answer it, and because <laughs> no matter what they do, they're going to die. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think lots of people would not have had the intelligence to figure it out. I mean, Pericles is a is a he's a. He's a pretty sound mind. Um, okay, let's go to the play. Um, you remember when we last met um, Thais' body was washed up on the um, shore of Ephesus and her body's recovered in this casket. Act three, scene two. The servant says, this, um, Sir, even now did the sea toss upon our shore this chest, tis of some rack, some shipwreck, go down a few lines. I never saw so huge a billow, sir, as tossed it upon shore. That in, it sugge- in itself suggests a mystery, that he'd never seen a wave that large. It's like nature is cooperating with God. Now think about this, I'd, I'd like to, I don't want to press this right now, but I want to introduce this. So often people who think about miracles, think about miracles in terms of some CG effect. You know, that God, uh, Deus Ex Machina, God is going to do this extraordinary thing and it's going, to, it's going to be different from everything else in the world. Except God made nature and the miracles that he performs are often in accord with nature. He works with what nature gives right so oftentimes miracles can be missed because nature goes on a guy who was sick how do we know a guy who was sick maybe at a point of death and he might have died I mean lots of people die but sometimes they survive and and we know of physicians who say miraculous you know they can't explain it but I sometimes wonder if if what happened wasn't always obviously a miracle that the doctors could have done everything and think that they were the reason for the persons being healed when it may have involved may have involved a grace. We don't know. Do we see it? Remember, Helena had a third eye. Saruman has that kind of third eye. These kinds of characters see things other people don't. So um, I never saw so huge a billow, sir, as thought he's just describing a big storm. Was that a, something miraculous going on? We don't know, but but we know that that coffin washes up in time for Saruman to heal it. Here's another here's another moment of good fortune coming out of bad fortune. She's dumped in the sea. By what reason could we have expected her to wash up in Ephesus? But she does it, and from what Saruman says, it's clear that it's just in time for him to heal her. If it had gone much longer, she would have died. Mm-hmm. So constantly, we're reminded that miracles go on, that God is working with nature. So if things go on as they were, very often we might miss a miracle that took place and not see it. Um, she's healed, and remember at the end of Act 3, um Saruman Recommends that she go to uh, um, the the Temple of Diane, and she commits herself to do that and become a Vestal Virgin to spend out her years because, in her mind, she's lost um, both her daughter and her husband. Um, we are taken to um, Tharsis, where Dionysia plans to kill Mer- Marina, and you know that the just when um, Leonine is about to. Um, kill her, the pirates come and rescue her. So once again, here's here Dionysus is going to kill her, something intervenes, pirates capture her and sell her to a brothel. It has all the marks of bad fortune, and yet everything that happens there because of her virtue is going to turn good. Her virtue is an occasion people talk about humans being instruments of god i don't like that word cuz i i don't think god ever uses us we're not instruments but you know it has to do here that she becomes the means of of a grace working in that town she converts all the men to um, strengthen the governor i'd like to look at, at um pander bolt and bod is the pander of the of the um, what do you call it? The uh, not what's the word? I'm trying. Um, not a whorehouse, but. Yep. brothel. Bro- thank you, thank God, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> panders, one. Panders, the the head, the bot, the head of the the pander of the brothel, <laughs> and bod is the woman, and bolt is the man. And it's really wonderful to watch Shakespeare distinguish between characters. Remember we talked about the way he did that with Kent and Edgar in uh, Lear, that in very few lines he, he is remarkably good at showing the differences between characters and he does it here. I don't want to go into this because I really want to get to the ending, but I'll just pick a couple of lines here. Act 4, scene 2, about line 75. Um, the the three who are involved in the what's it called, The uh, brothel, um, suddenly are interrupted because um, Bolt comes back with uh, Marina. The exchange has taken place, and she's there, and Bod says about line 70 or so, yes indeed shall you and taste gentlemen of all fashions. They're going to use her. That is, they're going to use another human being to make money. So they've suddenly been, <laughs> God, this is so funny. They think they've had the good fortune to have a woman dropped in their lap so they can use her, so they're ready. In fact, you know, Bod's going to—I um, mean, uh, um, Bolt is going to rape her to help. And but right now they want to save her virginity because they know it'll bring a great price. Um, Bod says, "Yes, indeed, shall you?" And taste, gentlemen of all fashion. Now this is the woman in the brothel speaking to Marina. So it's not a man. The woman says, um, yes indeed you shall you and taste gentlemen of all fashions. You shall fare well. You shall have the difference of all complexions. What do you stop your ears? Because Marina's probably going to want to hear this. And Marina goes, are you a woman? It's interesting to see the way Shakespeare gives each of these characters their own personality and distinguishes them on the basis of their personality or their sex. Um... Marina's not going to have anything to do with this, and when they take her off at the end, she says at the end of Act, or act 4, Scene 2, it fires be hot, knife sharper, waters deep, untied I, can't, sorry. untied, I still my virgin not will keep, she will not give up virginity, if, fi- if she's tormented with fire, if she's wounded, they boil her, she is determined. She reminds me of the woman in Maccabees, who is going to go to her death and see her sons die before she's forced to eat unholy meat. That virtue is that deep. She is not going to compromise her virtue. What have we to do with Diana? Pray you. Will you go with us? The bod, the woman, has no grasp of what Maria is doing. Um, in, in act 4 scene 3, Pericles returns to Tharsis to get his daughter and it's then that he learns that she's dead and um, he will not shave or grow his hair, he says at that point. We return to Matilene and um, act 4 scene 5 and we hear all these gentlemen come out of this brothel um, converted. Act 4, scene 5, first lines. Did you ever hear the like? No, nor ever shall do in such a place as this she being once gone. But to have divinity preached there, did you ever dream of such a thing? No, no, come. I am for no more body houses. Shall, shall us go hear the vestal sing? They want to hear different things. They heard something different from her, something in her voice, what she was saying they'd not heard before. Um, Bod says <laughs> she's, not, she's not taking kind to marine at all go down a few lines when she should do for clients her fitment and do me the kindness of our profession she has me her quirks her reasons, her master reasons, her prayers her knees, that she would make a Puritan of the devil if you should cheapen a kiss of her <laughs> um, it's then that um, Lord Lysimachus, the governor of the island, comes and Marina um, converts him, or at least strengthens him. I don't think he he's not come to take advantage of the women. I think he's come as governor um, to do a it's like a security check on you know on on this house. And um, he asks um, how long she's been doing what she's doing, a um, line around fifty. She says, if he govern the country, you are not bound him indeed. But know how honorable he is in that I know not. She doesn't know how honorable this guy's gonna be. He asks her and she says she's been she's been doing that forever. He thinks she means prostitution when she means I've been honorable all my life. About line ninety, that I am a maid, though most ungentle fortune have placed me in this sty where since I came diseases have been sold dearer than physics, that the gods would set me free from this unhallowed place though they did um, change me to the meanest bird that flies in the pure air. She would do anything before she'd do that. And we know from the opening scenes that the brothel is going to hell. It's rotten, they're losing customers, the women are all sodden from washing themselves out because we know that disease is rampant. Men are getting venereal diseases, the women are passing it on. It's it's a house of corruption. The Lysimachus, the governor, is so taken that he gives her gold and then leaves. And Bolt comes along and determined to rape her. He's going to take away her virginity and straighten out this problem. And um, about line um, 150 or so, she begins to describe him to himself in such a way that he himself is embarrassed. And he makes a turn himself. Um, Act 5 which is where I want to get to so let's go there. Um, Pericles is at sea and he comes to the island of Matilony and comes ashore and Lysimus as the governor, comes to greet him. Line, act 5, scene 1, about line 25 or so. When Lysimachus comes on board, he's met by Helicanus who says, Sir, our vessel is of Tyre, in it the king, a man who for this three months hath not spoken to anyone, nor taken sustenance, but to prologue his grief. So he's not combed his hair, he's not shaved, he's got to have a long beard. Um, He's not spoken to anybody for months, and he's not eaten well. So he he has to look um, somewhat emaciated or weakened. And look. Um, um, Helicanus tells him it's vain to speak to him. He won't speak to anybody. It's at that point that Le, um, Lysimachus remembers Marina, and he says he knows of this girl who might be able to help. Um, about line 60 or so, O oh, sir, a courtesy which if we should deny, the most just gods for every graph would send a caterpillar and so infect our province. Yet once more, let me entreat to know a large the case. Helicanus is offering um, to pay them. Um, they have the money, but they've been at sea for a long time. And um, and he says the food is stale. Look, look, look um, Lysimachus shows what a good king mm. or governor is because he says, to refuse you would be to go against the gods. So here's another instance of a ruler whose actions are governed by his awareness that the gods exist. Um, because if he refuses, he would be like putting a caterpillar in plants. They would just eat it up. So Marina arrives. Now here's the, um, the point at which I would like to take some time. And um, I'm going to do more reading than I ordinarily do so pardon me for a minute. If all of you would be patient. I want to I don't want to, I want to try to cover as much of this as I can even while I don't do it all. So I'm going to move forward. But I want to try to cover as much of the scene because I think it's remarkable. Um and I re- I think we can do a better job on it if it more of it is in front of us. So, so um Marina comes and she approaches um Pericles, and he pushes her away. But when she comes, um, a song is sung about line 80. Lysimachus, come, let's leave her, and the gods make her prosperous. They withdraw. The song by Marina. Lysimachus advances. Marked he, marked he your music? No, nor looked on us. See, she will speak to him. He goes up to him, "'Hail, sir, my lord, lend ear.' He pushes her away. "'I am a maid, my lord, that never before invited eyes, but have been gazed on like a comet. She speaks, my lord, that may be hath endured a grief might equal yours, if both were justly weighed. Though wayward fortune did malign my state. My derivation was from ancestors who stood equivalent with mighty kings.' But time had rooted out my parentage, and to the world and awkward casualties bound me in servitude. She's gone through, she's lost everything. Um, I will desist, but there is something grows upon my cheek and whispers in mine ear, Go not till he speak. She's ready ready to withdraw, and suddenly she feels a glow. Is that the spirit? Is this a subtle miracle? Nothing's happening physically. But it's as if somebody's saying to her, don't go until he speaks. Something's holding her there. St. Augustine would call this a moment of illumination. Something's going inside of her to, that keeps her there. Because he's not talking, he's pushed her away. My fortune's parentage, good parent, to equal mine. Was it not thus? What say you? I said, my lord, if you did know my parentage, you would not do me violence. I do think so. Pray you, turn your eyes upon me. You are like something that... What country, woman, hear of these shores? No, not of any shores. Crucial, just underscore it, because I want to come back to this. Not of any shores. Yet I was mortally brought forth and am no other than I appear. I am great with woe and shall deliver weeping. My dearest wife was like this maid, and such a one my daughter might have been. He sees in her a resemblance to his wife, to Thesa, Where do you live? Go down. Um, She says she's a stranger to this place. Um, She says, if I should tell my history, it would seem like lies disdained in the reporting. It's Her history so unreal. Pericles, pretty speak, falses cannot come from thee, for thou lookest modest as justice, and thou seemest a palace for crowned truth to dwell in. I will believe thee, and make my senses credit thy relation to points that seem impossible, For thou lookest like one I loved indeed. What were thy friends? Didst thou not say when I did push thee back, which was when I perceived thee, that thou camest from good descending? She um, tells her story again. Um, And then she says down below, down a few lines, he says, come sit by me. She says, my name is Marina. Oh, I am mocked. And thou, by some incense, God sent hither to make the world to laugh at me. Patience, good sir, for here I'll cease. Nay, I'll be patient. Thou little knowest how that does startle me to call thyself Marina. The name was given me by one that had some power, my father and a king. How, a king, daughter, and called Marina? You said you would believe me, but not to be a trouble of your peace. I will end here. That's twice, three times she was going to pull away. But are you flesh and blood? Have you a working pulse? And are no fairy, no motion? Well, speak on. Where were you born? And wherefore called Marina? Called Marina, for I was born at sea. Hold on to that line again. She said, no, not of any shore. I want everybody to not only literally hold on to this, but symbolically, I mean, what? So she's not born of a shore. And she says she's of the sea. For I was born at sea. At sea, what mother? My mother was the daughter of a king. She um, she names, um, like Rita, the the nurse. Oh, stop there a little. This is the rarest dream that ere dull sleep did mock sad fool's withal. This cannot be my daughter, buried. Well, where were you bred? I'll hear you more to the bottom of your story. And if, Now, remember, he's had a king and his wife tell him, that his daughter died, so he has it on the authority of the center of state. This is the center of power. It's a king and a queen saying she's dead. I mean that she was gone, but it had to be reinforced by having a king and a queen say she's dead. Now, this young woman before him is saying, her name's Marina. Um, she identifies her nurse. Where were you bred? I'll hear you. I'll hear you more to the bottom of your story and ne'er interrupt you, your your scorn, believe me, t'were best I did give over. I will believe you by the syllable of what shall deliver, yet give me leave. How came you to these parts? Where were you bred? She goes into the story and he begins to cry, but good sore whither will you have me? Why do you weep? It maybe you think me an impostor, no good faith. I am the cod. Um, I am the daughter of King Pericles, if good King Pericles be. Ho, Helic! she thinks her father's dead. Ho, Heliconus calls my lord. Thou art a grave and noble counselor, most wise and general. Tell me, if thou canst, what this maid is or what is like to be that thus hath made me weep. I know not. But here's the regret, sir, of region, speaks nobly of region. her. Here's the
6: regent.
0: The Simicus, she never would tell her parentage. Being demanded that she would sit still and weep, Pericles, O oh Helicanus, strike me, honoured sir! Give me a gash, put me to present pain, lest this great sea of joys rushing upon me or bear the shores of my mortality, and drown me with their sweetness. Stab me, physically, do something to call me back to my body. Because he can't believe it. Oh, come hither! Hear these words. Come hither, thou that begettest him, that did thee beget. You who brought to life, given life, who gave you life, who brought you to you, you who are bringing to birth, the man who gave you birth. Thou that begettest him that did beget that thee beget. Thou that was born at sea, buried at Tharsus, and found at sea again. O Helicanus down on thy knees thank the holy gods as loud as thunder threatens us this is marina what was thy mother's name tell me but that for truth can never be confirmed enough though doubts did ever sleep first sir i pray what is your title i am pericles of tyre god imagine the moment for her but tell me now my drowned queen's name as in the rest you said thou hast been god like perfect the heir of kingdoms and another life to Pericles thy father. Is it no more to be your daughter than to say my mother, how, and to say my mother's name was Thesa? Thesa was my mother who did end the minute I began. Now blessing on thee, rise, thou art my child. Give me fresh garments, mine own Helicanus. She is not dead at Tharsis as she should have been by savage Cleon. She shall tell thee all when thou thou shalt kneel and justify in knowledge. She is thy very princess. Who is this? Sir, tis the governor of Matilani, who hearing of your melancholy state did come to see you. I embrace you. Give me my robes. I am wild in my beholding. O heavens, bless my girl. Music plays. Cannot hold on? Because remember, at, at There are, remember, poetry is music. It's, it's, I mean, I've been insisting on that from the beginning. It's why we start the classes with lyrics, to to keep that, that poetry is music. Music is poetry. Um, I am wild in my beholding. Oh, heavens bless my girl. Music plays, but hark what music. Tell Helicanus, my marina, tell him or point by point for yet he seems to doubt how can you how sure you are my daughter but what music he's hearing a music and he can't make sense of it Helicanus my lord I hear none Pericles none the music of the spheres list my marina Lysimachus it is not good to cross him give him way Pericles rare sounds this is why you know if you go back a minute while when we were doing Lear when everybody said let him alone he said look there look there and I was suggesting we just cannot dismiss that as if everybody thinks he's mad when he may be seeing something that the others don't here are these moments in Shakespeare nobody hears this music um, this music starts playing Elecanus my lord I hear none None. the music of the spheres List, my marina It is not good to cross him, give him way. Pericles, rare sounds do you not hear? Lysimachus, music, my lord, I hear. Does he hear, or is he just um, going along? Going along because he doesn't want to upset him. Pericles, most heavenly music, it nips me unto listening, and thick slumber hangs upon mine eyes. Let me rest. This is the first time since the beginning of the play, however many years this has been, that he's probably been able to sleep. Lysimachus, a pillow for his head, so leave him all. Well, my companion friends, if this but answers to my just belief, I'll well remember you. I doubt that he hears it. Diana, Diana's appearing now to Pericles in a dream, and it's in this dream that she'll send him to Ephesus. She says, my temple's there, go there. Um, she says, or um, give them repetition to this life, or prefer my bidding, or thou livest in woe. Do it in happy by my, by my silver bow. Awake and tell thy dream. Pericles, celestial, Diane, goddess Argentina, I will obey. If he doesn't, he's going to live a wife. So she puts a, something of a stern warning. Generally, when, when dreams come from the afterlife to the character, there's a sternness. If you can hear Christ in the gospel... And, and it seems to me if you read him closely you can't miss it he means it, she means it here and you know that it's there that he'll go I don't, I don't want to um, you know the scene I, I want to be careful now he and Thessa are reunited she, um, he goes to the temple, she's there as a vestal um, creature and um, she faints when um, um, she recognizes him um, and the two have that moment Oh, let me look, if he be none of mine, my sanctity will to my sense bend no licentious ear, but curb it spite of scene. Oh, my Lord, are you not Pericles? Like him you spake, like him you are. Did you not name a tempest, a birth, a death? It's the same wonder, Pericles says down below, go down some, this, this, no more, you gods. Your present kindness makes my past miseries sports. When you come to that joy after all the suffering, the, jo- the, the suffering seems like nothing, like sport. You shall do well that on the touching of her lips I may melt and um, no more be seen. He would disappear in her. Oh, come, be buried a second time within these arms. You know that they embrace and um, they're reconciled. And um, um, Saruman says, let's go in and hear all of this Pericles says, Pure Dion, bless thee for thy vision. I will offer night oblations to thee. Thaisa, this prince, the fair betrothed of your daughter, shall marry her at Pentapolis. And now, um, this ornament make me look dismal. I will clip to front. And what this 14 years, no razor touched to grace thy marriage day, I'll beautify. You'll shave finally after 14 years. Um, let me stop. You know that. Um, that um, Gower will end the play, but I, I want to go back to this reconciliation scene if I can for a moment. Um, let me come at it this way. I've got two questions. The, 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 the one question I have is, what do we make to, to make of Marina? Something extraordinary, or in fact, let me put this differently. Shakespeare Shakespeare treats the reunion between father and daughter um um more intensely he gives more attention to it it's drawn out to me it's a far more dramatic scene than the um reconcilia- or the the reunion between pericles and um and thesa if you disagree wait a minute i mean come back but but let me try this because i wanted to see what you make of it because this is an extraordinary reunion uh, between father and daughter and it seems to me the focus of the fifth act is there, not the reunion between a husband and wife. So one of my questions is why why is that so? Um, but I've got two questions of focus it. Who is Marina? She's not of the shore. she's of the sea. Her name means of the sea. She's of the sea. And let me put it this way. Um, we, we saw in Chaucer. These were, the men were all scumbags. Most of them were scoundrels. The women were extraordinary. The women were extraordinary in Chaucer. Um, we, we did that. Um, Pericles is a remarkable man. He's an extraordinary man. We know that he's a man of courage. He won't back away from a fight because he's ready to, um, to fight the king when his honor's questioned. Or whoever made the insult. He said, unless it's the king. He thinks it's somebody else. He's ready to draw his sword. So he's not a man afraid of fighting. But we never see him fighting, except in the joust, and he wins it. So we know he's a capable man. But in every episode, um, he faces a situation in which he withdraws. He goes away from Antioch. He, um, um, He goes away from all the other regimes. He's not running. He's in exile. He doesn't want to go home until he learns that um, he has to go home when he he gets the letter to return. (coughs) And he returns. Um, If you look at Marina, she's active. She converts all those men. She's absolutely virtuous. Um, But she's active. She's she's converting people. Pericles doesn't. so what do we make of Marina, and is Shakespeare saying something about the differences between men and women here, and if I can ask the men to just be still for a second, if you, if you wouldn't mind, I'd really like to get the women on this, I just, um, I may be making too much of this, um, in terms of the play, it, I don't think so. Marina is an extraordinary character, and, and what she does is remarkable, um... So, can I put this to the women? Lori, what are your thoughts? What, what are, I mean, clearly Marina is a character in her own She's a daughter, but, but she's called Marina. Her name is Marina. She is not of the shore. She's of the sea. The sea has always been a mistress, mysterious place in all the works that we've read. You know that it, it's a place of trial. It's a place of storms. It's all, it also can be an image of grace. That mysterious things come through it. So, what do you make of what do you make of Marina?
3: Um, I, I guess
1: the things that come in to me is um, being Catholic. Uh, um, the New Eve, the Blessed Mother, baptism. Um, she's symbol. She's a symbol of Mary in a way to me. I don't know. Um, she brings grace and goodness everywhere she goes so uh she's she's the um the um, try say, um the daughter daughter of the king you
4: know I don't yeah. know that, I, that's, that's, that's that's going through my head I don't know
0: yeah more. yeah no no just Connie do you have any thoughts about her she's an extraordinary creature somewhere in this i I don't want to press but I would really like to get a to reinforce this I'd like to put her next to her father because they're both they're both good people um, but can we what can we say about the differences between them what do you do you have any thoughts about Marine, marina Connie
2: she says she suffered so well I mean her father mm-hmm. suffered. But he, um, you know, didn't talk, didn't shave, didn't change clothes, I mean, none of that. But Marina, um, she just powered on. I mean, she suffered. She lost her mom. She lost her dad. Um, And she just kind of powered on, still converting people.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: It's pretty amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you said, I, I wouldn't use the word power because it, you know, Power is usually a negative thing for Shakespeare. It's people have to be careful. And, but yes, you are, and, I, and I, your comments about Pericles mm-hmm. is not shaving, is not talking, <clears throat> are just such an important contrast between the two of them. Um, I mean, I, he, to me, he's a very heroic man. Oh, yeah. But, but it's interesting because men generally hold themselves to a standard of courage. You know, they, they have to be brave. But when men get discouraged, when that courage is taken away, when something happens, it's interesting to see what men do. And I just, I, I mean, I think you really sort of put your finger on it when you, you know, by that contrast that he didn't shave, he didn't speak. Um, she, I, I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding the word power, but she just holds steadily. She keeps giving um, actively. Um, in an amazing way. Kay, go, did you have some? Yeah. Um,
1: uh, I'm just comparing the daughters of King Lear versus Marina. Yeah. Pericles' daughter.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, stock contrast, and uh, uh, Marina is uh, full of virtue. And seemed to hold herself to a higher standard and purity. Whereas uh, King Lear's daughters, two daughters, uh, the yes. older two daughters, were yes. very, very greedy. Yes, and yes. And power hungry. Yes, yes. And what makes those women, I mean Marina, so different from those two daughters of King Lear? and i'm thinking probably mm-hmm. because marina has been going through so much suffering does suffering make someone more virtuous <laughs> i'm not sure but that that's just a question comes in my mind
0: yeah if i can if i can just Back that up a little. I'm so glad you did that, Kay. That you know you you brought in Lear's two daughters because they, it, it just sharpens it. Um, it seems to me Shakespeare is aware, and 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 you know he would have gone um, Plato, Aristotle, um, 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 Sophocles, Aeschylus. All of those ancient poets believed that wisdom came from suffering. That people who suffered became more sensitive, more aware. People, lots of people would avoid suffering and become worse, like Jocasta, Oedipus' mother, just became I mean, she killed herself. Some people can turn away from suffering. But where people do endure it, they become better. They become wiser. Um, they see more. They feel more. They're aware. That's certainly true of Lear and Gloucester and King Lear. I mean, I'm glad you went there. Um, and so for all of her fourteen years before she was kidnapped, she went without a father. She lacked a father. I mean, she was raised by somebody else. And remember her words. I mean, sorry, I didn't. But um, when when Dionysi gives her up, this is Act Four, Scene One, about line twenty. You don't have to go there, but but at, at the opening, and that scene where the henchman is going to take her away to kill her. She says, I am a poor maid, born in a tempest when my mother died. This world to me is a lasting storm, worrying me from my friends. She's grown up with a loss as a part of her character. She has no mother. She has no father. She was a product of a storm. So, to your point, because I think you're, I I believe, Kay, you're right on, that suffering can... Make human beings better. She's had the good fortune to be raised the first 14 years without a lot of problems, but without a mother and a father. That's a law she carries. Um, so, in one in one sense, it seems to me she's illustrating what you're. She's a perfect mm-hmm. illustration of what you're talking about. And did you you have any thoughts on Marina?
2: uh you know it, it's like okay where did all this good where did her goodness come from. from she certainly didn't have wonderful people helping her and she's just an extraordinary character
0: well one thing to add to that um we have no reason to suspect, we have no reason to believe that she suspected anything of Cleon or Dionysia. To all appearances, they were good parents. As a matter of fact, the way her education described is that Cleon made sure she had a really good education. She was taught in music and all the crafts. Mm-hmm. So she had, so to go to your point, and and by the way, I want to, like, this is good. I'm so glad you, all, you guys amaze me right now. All of you are amazing me. Um, Shakespeare knew that lineage was important, just as it would be for a dog breed. That human beings can breed a character, nobility can be passed on. We know that um, that in her court, in Cleon's court, he educated her well. But I think the assumption is she's already come from noble blood as well. She has something good her. So you know, in in a world in which science rules everything, um, that won't be easily accepted because. We, we're products of forces over, over which we have no control and we don't understand. That wasn't true in mm-hmm. Shakespeare's age. Where you came from, who your parents were, mattered. Sometimes in a bad way. But, but it, it's his way of saying that that something does pass on. And we know in um, Tharsis that Cleon was a good king in the sense that he I mean he was stupid and weak in what he didn't see um, and Marina had no reason to mistrust the queen that's why she's so surprised, and and why Shakespeare—I mean, uh, Pericles—believed them when they both said that his daughter was dead. So there's something to be said for her lineage that something passes on by nature, but also that she was she received a really good education. So when you add that ed- education to her native gifts, um, that's partly a, an explanation. I, I, I don't think it satisfies my mind entirely or yours, because I think your questions are really good one. Where did it come from? But um, let, me, let me stop. And um, all of any I, all of you, I mean, everything you've said is, to me, really, really, so good. The men want to come in here, David, Michael, Chuck, any of you guys want to add anything?
5: There's something more to Marina, it seems to me, than just Marina. I mean, she almost has a halo. So it's it's almost like the spirit is working through her. She's it's just part divine. She does things that are that are preternatural. I mean, really beyond human ability, and uh, and all with such a calm, such, such a grace that it's it's beyond human.
0: Mm, I don't agree. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to make her, but, but I I, mean, I know what you're talking about, honestly, but. Um Shakespeare wouldn't Shakespeare wouldn't be glad with hold on here but to go to Chuck's point and because he's touching a of the sea not of a shore without making her something that she's not she's human completely human but what what what's in her just by those that she's not she says I'm not of the shore I'm of the sea she's what how does her association with the siege, what does it does for our perception of her what does she carry as a woman that's related to the sea. Chuck, can you can you go? Can you pick that up without and tone it down a little bit, maybe? <laughs> without making her Shakespeare does not want to put a woman on a pedestal. He does everything in the world not to do that. It's part of the reason yeah. I'm doing that. These are no, very human women. I'm,
5: I'm not suggesting she's divine, but I think in, 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 inspired, <laughs> in you know, it's an original sense uh, is, is a good way to describe her. Is, she carries a calm, a, a, an inner peace that comes from a very deep. Gosh, I don't know. It comes from without her, I think.
0: Yeah. By the way, I want to. Get, Laurie said this. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm so careful of. You know, trying to be careful of what we do because c- people make of characters sometimes extraordinary things, but we saw this certainly. We saw it in Chaucer, in a in a much in a Catholic world. Shakespeare's modern. He's not medieval. He looks back to mean, He's very he's on the verge of modernity. He He's facing the modern world Every We've been talking about that since Hamlet. He's in a modern world. Chaucer wasn't. But Shakespeare, to me, is deeply Catholic. I mean, he's not... He's not going around... He's not going around with a, with a sign on his forehead. He's a human being walking around. But his sensibilities, his mind and heart... And one of the things that he would hold is knowing... That Mary was the most exceptional human being that ever lived. If women, so he knew that if he knew that the Jews were called out, when the Jews turn away from their calling, they get worse. When they turn to business or celebrity, when they turn away from God, they become worse. The, the line in one of his sonnets, um, 94, I think, look, it's a beautiful sonnet, look at 94. They that have the power to hurt and will do, not. but the ending line is um, lilies that fester, lilies that fester, lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. When people are given gifts and they misuse them, they turn really bad. Yeah, they're going to turn. Put a put a put a an, an ordinary piece of meat out in the sun. Put a rare a, 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 a particularly wealthy or special kind of meat out of the sun, that better meat will have maggots all over it far faster than. Because beautiful things, when they go bad, get worse. So, um, what Mary did, <laughs> I don't know how to put this, put women in a particularly difficult spot. Like the Jews, if when they turn away from their calling, they can become worse. Mary had nothing nothing to do with the centers of power. Look at Dionysia in the play. When women approach a center of power, they sometimes become worse than men. Mary had nothing to do with centers of power. Everything in her life separated herself from those centers. She raised her son. She brought him up to obey the law i mean that passage when they go back and you know when they missed him and he's in the temple and she says why have you done this to us the last passage is and they went back and and he gave obedience or he obeyed he obeyed them um, and the focus is on mary you have an image of a god a god obeying his mother that she brought him up under the law and we know that eventually he's going to fulfill it but that's a rare thing. There's nothing in Marina aspiring to power, anything. I mean, she, that whole world of using other people is something she wants out of. Dionysa wants into it. I and mean, she, 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 she brings her own death about. Um, so there's something in her, I don't know how, to, that's undefinable, you know, she's associated with the sea, she's not of the shore. Is, there, is everybody called, to be not of the shore means she's not of a city she's not of a nation she doesn't belong to the shore she's of the sea there's something indefinable about her and i and i it i, I mean i don't want to make her a Mary figure I, that's not who she is she marries but shakespeare's got mary behind him this woman who changed the nature of womanhood this should, uh
6: Say, Bob. Yeah. I, I just need. I just need to say that you know, like I said, I'm I'm still at the beginning of, chap, of, of uh, Act Four, but uh, so I don't have much of an impression of uh, Marina. But it strikes me about her being of the sea because when I when I uh, read the, uh, the the way they related uh, faces. Being thrown into into the sea in the coffin and then being washed up on shore and being revived—it was just <laughs> such a strong image of baptism to me. That you know, she she went into the water, yeah, 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 into death and was yeah raised yep, yep, to new life out, yep, of, yep, out yep, of the water.
0: Yep, and grace—a a wonderful image of grace in baptism. I mean, mm-hmm. just to add another word, but I, yeah, I think you, God, you guys amaze me.
4: Um, This is Julie. I think about um, the sea and transformation. In our previous studies, we've talked about when they're on the sea is when a lot of their turning points um, occur. And so with her being of the sea, (laughs) because I was thinking of how could she be so good? You know what I'm saying? I've like yes. been mentioned before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was thinking,
0: maybe there was a special grace from <clears throat> from the sea. Or I
4: don't know, just a thought. Yeah, no, no, no. Out why was she so good?
0: Yeah. And I, if I put yours and Kate's case comments together, you know that her, her her comment or question about the suffering, you know, that she the her entire Life up to 14 as a young woman, a young girl, she's carried this suffering. And if you put that together with your comment, you know, that of the sea and suffering is transformative, um, there's a lot of wisdom in those two comments when you put them together. I mean, there was wisdom in both of them anyway, but when I think about putting them together, it. it, it's Shakespeare showing that there's something remarkable and and to to, to underscore this again I mean I, I I'm so particularly after Chaucer you know when we read him because I'd never put him together like that in all my years of reading him, because I always had to break him up um, the men don't do very well but the, Chaucer, the women in Chaucer do that there's a way in which men can get caught up in male egos of strength and power women today it seemed to me are caught up in it badly um, but Mary's not there, and if you put your comments, the you know Kay's comments together with yours, that she's an image of sea that's that's in de- something hard to get a hold of, that's that's not defined in terms of shore, but of sea of grace, that um, it, it Shakespeare's showing there's something humans are capable One of the reasons this is so important to me is that we have such a bad... View of human nature in our world—you know, we, we evolved from apes, or we're we're, proce- we're products of an evolutionary process. Um, this is not Shakespeare's view of our human nature. Pericles is a good man, a really, really good man. You, I can't say enough about his virtue. He, to me, he's a remarkable man. But but putting together what Connie said, you know, together with all of your comments that. Um, um, there's something more remarkable about Marina that, that she she keeps bringing something or her words when she's faced with problems um, that makes her stand out as a character and I think we're supposed to keep the sea alive in our understanding of her and, and what all of you have been suggesting um let me stop. Any, I mean, I, this is a lot going on here. I'm so glad we've had a chance to do this. I, let me try to connect this, if I can, for a second. It just seems to me everything that's going on in this play speaks so directly to our faith that we're called on to use our powers of reason to get along in a world to make do faced with the threats that surround us. But there are all these extraordinary graces being given, to, um, And Shakespeare's exploring them here in in an amazing way, in a, in a father and a daughter and a husband and wife. I'm sorry I didn't give as much time to Pericles and Thesa. Next next week when we start Winter Tale, we are going to look directly at marriages and the focus there will be on a husband and a wife. And it's going to, to me, <laughs> it's hard for me to watch Winter's Tale and not weep at the end. It's just an, an extraordinary ending. It, it To me it's the most... if 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 I were to describe Pericles, I'd say, Pericles is the most perfect expression of a paradiso world. It's all given back. Whatever's lost is returned and glorified. So that Shakespeare's image of heaven, when anybody enters heaven, everything lost will be returned, infinitely magnified. It will be an overwhelming moment. Shakespeare has a glimpse of that here. In Winter's Tale, um, we're gonna, it's about what's lost is found. Um, it's, it's the most perfect realization of forgiveness that I know. If Pericles is a Paradiso play, Winner's Tale is about forgiveness. So they go directly to our faith, who we are. He's doing things that we just won't find. It's hard to find anything close to this in our world. We get rare glimpses of it, but let me stop. Any last thoughts? Anybody? Connie, you look.
2: No, it, was just, it was just a great play. It was awesome, and, and you're right. I did watch one online. It wasn't the same one that Chuck and Lori watched. I, I have Amazon Prime, but for some reason I couldn't get it. But anyway, I watched one. It wasn't nearly as good, but I, I got the gist of it. Uh, it, it helped me to understand better, and it did go pretty much um, from what the book was. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's no watching this play and not shedding a tear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, 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 it, yeah. Most, most beautiful.
0: And the play should be watched. You know, I, I'm very visual minded. I, I, I think I've all. I, I, Suzanne goes through books in no time. I can't read books quickly. I, I'm a very, very slow reader. Always have been. And I'm very visual oriented. I mean if, if I see something it always helps me. And and so once I've read a work and I go back to it, I I, I get clearer and clearer on seeing it. But I think it's hard to read a work anytime the first time. And seeing it helps because you've got all the senses. You hear, you see gestures, you've got so many other things that amplify whatever words mean. So, you know, I don't think it's an accident that Shakespeare wrote drama. It's the most, it's the fullest realization of our human experience. We're not in our heads. In a novel, we're in our heads. In a poem, we're in our heads. In a play, the body's right there. So, any last thoughts? Bob, can I go off topic for a minute? Sure,
6: yeah. Um, last week, I took my son and we went to see the mo- the new movie, uh, the tragedy of Macbeth. And and I re- actually I think it's it's gone out of the theaters. Hopefully, it'll get nominated for Academy Awards wow. and will wow. we'll come back. It, I thought it was very good. Wow. Uh, Denzel, Denzel Washington plays Macbeth. Uh, but uh, thought it was very good. Uh, Does it worked, stay? Is you, it?
0: It's both. not. It's staying faithful to the play. It's the actual the play, but in a movie form. Or are they doing something different?
6: Yes. yes. I think it's quite. You know, I think it's quite faithful to the play. Yeah. Oh. Uh, well. Wow. But uh, I recommend it. Well, wow, good. If it comes
0: back. <laughs> well, even if it doesn't come back, we can get it on DVD or or Prime right. or Amazon. Yeah. 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 Boy, I'm sorry, Karen. And Bob aren't here, and and Heather and Melody. Um.
1: But, but Karen said today is her birthday, oh. so she could not attend. She's celebrating her birthday.
0: Yeah, tell her for me that we had a prize for her, a, a birthday present for. Her. It, it's called Pericles, and she missed it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I will write them. I will write them. I I, I want them. I, I I'm going to encourage everybody who wasn't here to at least listen to the audios because I just would be sorry for them to miss the end of it. You know, we we build. If you miss the end of a play, you miss a lot. So I'm going to encourage them to listen to the audios. Um, I hope they do. I think it'll help them with Winter's Tale too. Anyway, next week we start Winter's Tale and we start um, Elliot's Dry Sauvages, the the third of the quartets, okay? And I think you were all online when I told you. I'm not sure Kay Kay, um, reminded me. Um, I'm sorry for the confusion. I'm seriously thinking about doing the Gospels when we stop this. And Kay reminded me that I talked about doing c s Lewis and Chesterton. I want to talk with Father about this, but um,
2: yeah.
0: but I think there's a, a a good reason to to do the Gospels to do Matthew and what I, what I would we, we've just done what we're doing at St. Francis is Matthew John and revelation um, we'd done Chesterton before them Lewis and Chesterton before some time ago but um but I think it might be good to do this and invite the parish. And I think the parish might be more likely to come if it's scripture than if it's literature. Because I think sometimes they they think, why literature? You know, you can read literature in school. and um, Anyway, I, I want to talk with Father. But tentatively, at least at this point, we'll spend the next three weeks, the next month or so, on Wintersdale, we'll take a break, give you guys a break for me, and um, we'll take a break and then we'll come back and do the Gospels or we'll do Lewis and Chester, and we'll probably do the Gospels. But I want to check with Father first, so but enjoy Par- or uh, Wintersdale. It is, it is a um, to me, it's one of the most remarkable things that Shakespeare did. So, anyway, all of you guys stay safe. Keep us in your prayers, please. We will keep you in ours and um, stay safe and I'll see you in a week. Okay. Good
3: night. Good night.
0: By the way, this clicks off.